Good morning, St. James. Uh, before we start, let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have promised to always give wisdom to those who ask. And so we pray that you give us your wisdom this morning as we come to your word and that by the power of your spirit, we would hear your voice speaking to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about uh, possible and impossible. Um, what things do you know that uh, that are impossible? I, I, obviously, what you do when you come to a question like that is you Google it. Uh, and the two things that came up, one was licking your own elbow. Uh, try it. Apparently, it's impossible. I don't pretend, I don't intend to uh, do that on camera now. But uh, licking your own elbow is one. Uh, raising one eyebrow uh, well, isn't it impossible? And yet, it is for me. Uh, if ever you want to ask Ali something that will make her smile, ask her about me trying to raise one eyebrow. I can raise both eyebrows, that's fine. But I did go through a period in my life when I really wanted to raise one eyebrow and never could. And so I practiced. I stood in front of a mirror going, desperately trying to get one eyebrow to go up while the other one wouldn't. There you go. We all have these things sent to try us, but it's... Um, another example, I was just thinking, when I was younger, I used to go on scout camps. Uh, not as a scout. I used to go when I was like three or four because my father was one of the scout group leaders. Uh, and so whenever we arrived on a campsite, the first thing he did was put up all the tents and uh, there was lots and lots of work to be done. And so as a three or four-year-old boy, I really wanted to help. Uh, and so therefore, I would be given very specific jobs to do. Uh, I would be told to go and find the glass hammer uh, or the striped paint. Uh, and whoever gave me this job would tell me the person I had to go and ask about to find this thing. Uh, and they would always be on the other side of the field. And so I'd run over to them and say, can I have the glass hammer? And they'd go, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I've not got it, but uh, I think that Jim has and they would point to someone who was on the other side of the field from where they were, and I would run and find them and ask them for the glass hammer. Um, yes, there you go. That's what life's like when you're a three-year-old and you're getting under people's feet. You get given an impossible job. And uh, I look back and I realised that everyone was in on it, uh, and actually it cheered everyone up, watching me run backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. I slept well that night, life goes on. So, we're talking about impossible things. Uh, and we come to Romans chapter 7. And we have this, this interesting passage that actually, when I was a teenage Christian, I went over again and again and again. Because it really spoke to how I felt, this sense of, I want to be good. I want to be godly. I want to live the life God's called me to live. But I just can't. And Romans 7 was something that I went to again and again and again with a sense of, oh God, I've let you down again. Why can I not do this? Um, and so I was looking at it again today, thinking I, I can really remember how that felt all those years ago. But actually, this is St. Paul writing this. St. Paul. 
someone who was going out and had planted churches and done miracles and all sorts. He was writing this about himself. And that made me think about other things that Paul wrote. So in his letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote this. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now the same person who was able to say all of that about himself also says this in Romans 7.15 I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Now, if Paul, who was undoubtedly holier than I am, certainly than I was when I was 18, was able to write this, that keeping the law was impossible, then how does this work? He, he says in Philippians, he obeyed the law without fault. And yet in Romans, uh, he says he does not do what is right, he does what he hates. So let's think about the book of Romans generally, that Paul is writing to a group of Christians about what it means to be followers of Jesus. And he is talking about the law as being very specifically um, the means by which the Jewish people came to God. This sense by which the, the covenant relationship between Israel and God and Yahweh was that they would keep the law that he gave them. They would keep the Ten Commandments, they would keep uh, the laws written down in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and he would in turn be their God. He would care for them, he would protect them, he would enable them to flourish. Now, the Jewish people had been working under the law, working with the law for centuries. And Paul had been keeping it himself, and yet he's reached this point where he says, it's just not possible. I love God's law with all my heart, Romans 7.22, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So you have this sense in Romans of Paul going, no, no, I can keep the law, I, I can follow the law, and yet I can't. The law just proves to me that I can't keep God's standards, that I can't do what he asked me to do, that I will fail and fail again. And for Paul, it is really simple. That actually effort and pulling up yourself up by your bootstraps, pushing a little bit, closer to get your tongue on your elbow isn't going to do it actually what we need is to be saved from this who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death thank god the answer is in jesus christ our lord for paul the answer is jesus and so having a look you know how i love uh, tom wright uh, because he writes some really deep theological stuff and then he writes stuff that is accessible to someone like me. Uh, and we look at Paul talking about the law. Um, 
I really like this bit that, that Tom Wright wrote on this passage. Um, and it says this. In particular, um, Romans have insists that when God gave the Torah, it was not a kind of first attempt at teaching human beings in general the first principles of morality, as though humans needed a few ground rules to get them going, eventually being topped up with the Sermon on the Mount. God's intention was far, far more subtle than that. The problem of evil, the real problem underneath questions both of salvation and of ethics, is far more radical than such an account would imply. When God gave the Torah, his intention was to further the purposes for which he called Israel. These purposes were not simply about teaching the world a better standard of morality. They are about rescuing the world from sin and death. To accomplish the same, God sent not just his Torah, but also his Son and his Spirit, to do at last what the Torah wants to do, but by itself could not. And so you have this sense that the law uh, fulfilled this purpose. It proves to Paul and to us that we are sinful, that we cannot live the lives God has called us to live, and that we cannot do this by ourselves. And actually it makes us more aware of just the enormity of the problem of sin and selfishness, and makes us aware of our need for a saviour, our need for someone who can come, who can live, who can keep the law but actually whose, by whose death, by whose sacrifice, the law is satisfied and we are free. So that understanding of Jesus bringing freedom, uh, it takes us to uh, our gospel reading, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. All that striving, straining, trying and failing. Jesus gives us freedom from our sin and from our own efforts to save ourselves. Jesus looks at my 18-year-old self and says, Steve, please take a rest. Stop trying to do it yourself and beating yourself up when you fail. Receive forgiveness. Receive grace that you've not earned, that you don't deserve, but which is freely given. Praise God. God is so good to us that he frees us from uh, that which we cannot free ourselves from. And on a different week, that's where our sermon would end. That we cannot do this ourselves, we rely on the grace of God. But actually today, uh, we're going to try and do something um, well, some would say impossible, some would say just tricky. What we just did was, it was exegesis, it's looking, not very detailed exegesis, but it was looking at the Bible saying, what was Paul saying to the people he was writing to? What was he saying to the people in Rome? Uh, and then how do we understand ourselves and God in the light of that? Now today, we have our monthly one service Sunday, our cafe church, our common service, our Zoom chat at 3pm on Sunday. Um, and so I'm going to look at how these passages apply to the topic we're looking at this afternoon. And I may well get this wrong, 
but I still think that it's important that I try. This afternoon in our Zoom conversation, we're going to hear from a number of really brave members of St. James who are going to share stories of how they have been impacted by racism in the UK. Uh, I believe it's really important that we listen to those stories and that we do our best to empathise with the suffering of this particular part of the body of Christ. However, the, the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on longer than just this year. And actually, it's about more than simply hearing some of the uncomfortable things that others have to live through or, or just looking with horror at examples of police brutality uh, that have caused some to lose their lives, uh, especially, obviously, at this point, George Floyd. One of the important discussions that have uh, gained more prominence at this current time is the conversation about what racism actually is. Um, now, at this point, I will apologise that you have a white man groping around for the right words to explore this issue. Now, I will not be speaking on the Zoom call. That will be for people to talk about their own experience. But part of my role as Vicar of St. James is to, to read Scripture and try and understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a whole church family. So let's talk about racism. Is it individual actions of prejudice? Is it uh, hurtful words targeted against a particular person? Or is it, uh, as people are saying increasingly, something more systemic? Is it inherent bias in individuals and in structures and institutions that privileges certain people over others? Can I say with integrity that I am not racist? I don't think I can. I have instinctive react reactions that are based on how I was brought up, on what I was taught at school, on uh, the people that I've met with, the, pe the people that I've interacted with over the course of my life. I'll react positively or negatively to different situations and people without thinking about it. That is a fact of my life. Now, I could say, well, I'm a good person. I've got friends from different ethnic backgrounds. I don't use offensive language. And at this point, um, a passage from uh, John's letter came to mind, which is that if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. A number of years ago, there was a television debate uh, and the title was, Is the Church Institutionally Racist? Uh, and John Root, formerly of this parish, was one of the speakers. And he spoke really powerfully that, well, the church is institutionally racist, not that the church goes out of its way to discriminate against people or to negatively um, hurt people who aren't white, but that for the church to not be institutionally racist, it would have to be actively reaching out to those people who were different from the people who are on the inside. And that was where John Root saw the church nationally uh, falling down. The truth is that we are sinful. Uh, and part of that sin is that, that selfishness that, that we naturally take easy options. That, that is what it is to be human. 
in order to survive, our brains filter all the information coming at us. Right now, your brain is receiving huge amounts of information, what you can see, what you can hear, what you can smell, what you can feel, and your brain has to filter through all of that and decide what's important, what's it need to tell you about. You know, in all those different things that you can smell, is there the smell of something burning that you would need to act on right now? Your brain is filtering stuff, and that filtering is unconscious. And the thing is, with every person having a brain that filters the information they receive, the issue that's a, you magnify that across the whole of society. And the truth is that some people get filtered out. Some people suffer. Some people miss out on opportunities or are picked on more often when people are looking for a scapegoat. This is true for, for race. It's also true based on gender. It's also true when we look at disability. Uh, a friend has passed on to me a number of photos that other churches have published in the last couple of weeks. And these photos have all been quite similar. It's been a picture of a front door wide open uh, and a, a big label saying, you're welcome to come and to pray in this church. Uh, and always um, the photos I've sent show this door with a big step in front of it. Uh, that means a wheelchair user has no way of getting inside. Now, the churches in question weren't meaning to discriminate. They weren't meaning to say that people who use wheelchairs are less important than other people. They just hadn't thought of it. And so, someone with the best of intentions, someone wanting to promote what they have to offer, what they can do, just hasn't realised what that would look like to someone who can't access it, hasn't realised who can't access it, hasn't thought through what that would feel like for someone in that situation. We are all programmed to stay safe. That's an evolutionary uh, impulse. Uh, we are all um, programmed to stick to our own group, to stick with people who are like us, people who are on our side. And so... We might want to do the good of being in positive relationship with people of all types, all creeds, all faiths, all colours, all genders, or whatever else. Um, however, we are programmed as humans to do the evil of connecting only with those who are like us, who look like us, who enjoy the same things as us, who don't challenge us or give us difficult things to think about, or extra work to do to engage with them. At St James, we always talk about being uh, one church family with our four congregations, five if you, obviously if you include our midweek communion. Um, and it's one of those things that is true, and it's not true at the same time. Um, over the last eight years, we have grown. I've seen uh, so many people blessed uh, when they've had conversations with someone who's not at the regular service they normally go to. I've seen people praying together, uh, certainly be especially before Cafe Church, people from different congregations who are serving together. And it, it's such a blessing. It makes such a difference. I've seen the number of relationships, the number of friendships across congregations grow uh, in St. James as a church. At the same time, I've also seen that 
we naturally sit together in our groups. That when we have a, a common service, um, actually for some people that is it's too difficult, and so they'll they'll steer clear. I've I've seen people, particularly in in lockdown, people are sticking with the people who are who support them, who encourage them, who who they recognise and get on with most easily. I've seen that unity comes at a heavy price because it involves doing a work of understanding someone else's perspective, someone else's preferences, someone else's um, way of engaging with God. And it needs us to value the things that they value, even when we wouldn't value those things ourselves. And that is hard, hard work. That, that work we've been doing at St. James, well, I'll go as far as I say, it isn't natural. It certainly isn't automatic. But just like Jesus rescues us from our inability to overcome our own sinful natures, it's Jesus and his spirit in us that enables us to overcome our own inclination to stick to what is safe and known, our inclination to avoid those who are different to us. Now, in Matthew 11, as I read that today, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Part of me wonders, is Jesus talking to me? Steve Taylor, vicar of St. James Church. Black Lives Matter, uh, gender equality groups, disability rights groups, help the aged, the Asylum Seekers Forum. Um, lots of groups in our society are able to tell me at the minute that the people that they represent, the people that they know, currently have a much heavier burden to bear than I do. I'm white, I'm male, I'm straight, I'm able-bodied, I have the right to live and work in the UK. Um, you know, I thank God for all these things. They are blessings. But they mean that things are open to me, things are accessible to me in a way they are not to someone who is disabled. They are not to someone whose skin is a different colour to mine. So for me to read Matthew 11 and say, oh yes, Jesus, give me rest. Oh, I'm weary. I am so weary. I, I think that I run the risk of Jesus looking back at me and saying, really? Really? If we look at Matthew 11 in context, Jesus just finished warning these Jewish cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida and Capernaum, saying, woe to you. Um, because he's done all these miracles in these Jewish places, in these places that have been taught to expect a Messiah, and they have ignored him. Um, the Jewish religious groups were missing the truth of who Jesus was. And at the same time, they were weighing others down with the burden of the law that they couldn't keep themselves. So, you know, you have the famous story of the woman caught in adultery and dragged before Jesus. Um, the man caught in adultery, we don't talk about, he's just not there. Um, and Jesus says, well, whoever is without sin, let them cast the first stone. Actually, it's let him cast the first stone. I think it's all men who's around him at the time. But you see the point. 
actually the religious people were the ones saying, we need to keep the law, we need to keep the rules, we need to make sure everyone keeps the rules. And Jesus spoke critique to them. He spoke justice to them. And he spoke to those who were left on the outside, those who were excluded. And he said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think part of the national conversation at the minute is people who are struggling under heavy burdens are being invited to speak. And actually, uh, in Black Lives Matter, we realise that actually, um, for various reasons, um, often just reasons that haven't really been thought through or, or planned or deliberately put in place, black people have been oppressed in this country in a way that white people are not. And I'd say that white people, individual white people, have been friendly and open and kind and loving. Um, some obviously haven't as well. But it's not to say this is about white people should beat themselves up, but it's about saying understand the burdens that others carry. If we're to be united, we need to recognise those burdens and recognise Jesus' heart for those who carry heavy burdens. I'm going to finish just by pointing out that this is who Jesus is. We talk about Jesus being God's God incarnate, God in human form. God is not like us. And yet God became like us so that we could see him, we could know him. He could take our burdens literally on the cross so that we can be in relationship with him. Our call is to be like him. Jesus said, as my father sent me, so I send you. So whether you are white, black, um, Asian, able-bodied, disabled, straight, gay, God is calling you to recognise where you are privileged, where you do not have a burden to carry, and to try to understand the burdens of others. The Zoom chat this afternoon is about understanding the burdens that others have been carrying and grieving with them. Not providing a solution, not defending ourselves, not saying, well, it wasn't me. But hearing people describe their reality. And we do this for the black community, with the black community, because actually our understanding of the world is enhanced when we do. We live in a more just world when we do. And there may well be a call after this to hear the stories of those who are disabled to hear the stories who are, of those who have been excluded on the basis of their sexuality, to hear the stories of those who've been excluded based on any number of things that just don't quite fit the normal, normal whatever, <laughs> had you inverted commas on a podcast, which this will become for some people. We discriminate against people who are not like us unless we make the effort 
to hear them, to see them, and to to understand what they are living with. Jesus is with the oppressed. He is carrying their burdens. He is giving them rest. When we sit back and just assume that Jesus' rest is for us, we belong to him. I think there is a risk that we miss the point. Jesus is God come to be like us. Our mission is to go and be like other people and to help them to find rest. I'll finish with Romans 7. Verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord.